Welcome to the Tiny House Lifestyle Podcast, the show where you learn how to plan, build, and live the tiny lifestyle. I'm your host, Ethan Waldman. I've probably been talking your head off about the recent Tiny House Summit, and I promise this is probably the last time I will mention it. It was such a blast to put together, and I heard from so many of you who got so much from watching the sessions. It was such a success that the Tiny House Lifestyle Podcast is taking a much-needed break around the holidays. For the next few weeks, we'll be sharing old episodes from deep in the feed that you may not have heard, but that are some of our favorites. First up is one of my favorite conversations and probably the most popular episode of the show, my first conversation with Tiny House author, the legendary Lloyd Kahn. I hope you stick around. Oh, and if you celebrate, happy Thanksgiving. I didn't want to spend my life creating something unique that was hard to build and took a lot of time. I wanted to have a house that I could get built quickly and that would be, you know, comfortable and beautiful and keep the rain off and then get on with my life. Welcome to the Tiny House Lifestyle Podcast, the show where you learn how to plan, build, and live the tiny lifestyle. I'm your host, Ethan Waldman, and this is episode 63 with Lloyd Kahn. If you don't recognize his name, you've probably seen one of his books. Lloyd published the seminal book Shelter in 1973, documenting alternative housing ideas not limited to, but including tiny houses, well before the current modern movement. Lloyd has a lifelong fascination with shelter, and in this conversation, we trace the steps of how an insurance broker from San Francisco built his own home and slowly transitioned to publishing internationally about geodesic domes, tiny houses, mobile houses, DIY building, driftwood shelters, and more. While many thousands of homes that Lloyd has documented over the years are small or tiny, he's got a healthy amount of skepticism about the modern tiny house movement. We'll talk about it all in this interview, so I hope you stick around. The Tiny House Lifestyle Podcast has been getting a lot of new listeners in the last couple of weeks. So if you're new to the show, let me say welcome. I'm glad you're here, and I hope you've subscribed in whatever podcast app you like to listen in. As of this week, there are 63 episodes for you to go back and listen to. There are a lot of amazing interviews that will help you plan, build, and live the tiny lifestyle. So I hope you delve into the archive and find something that really inspires you to move forward on your plans. Sharing your favorite episodes with your friends via email or even on social media is highly appreciated. A new episode of the show comes out every Friday, so definitely subscribe so you don't miss a single episode. All right, I am here with Lloyd Kahn. Lloyd Kahn is the former shelter editor of the Whole Earth Catalog and editor-in-chief of Shelter Publications. He has published a series of books on building, including Shelter and the legendary Tiny Homes Simple Shelter. There is an eight-page article on him in the current June edition of Surfer's Journal. Lloyd Kahn, welcome to the show. Thank you. You're very welcome. I'm curious if you can tell me about how your fascination with with shelter and just home began? Um, well, when I was 12, I helped my dad build a house in the Sacramento Valley. It was a concrete block house with a, a concrete slab floor. And my, we, so we would go up there on weekends. It was, he had a rice farm 
up there and he also wanted to go duck hunting. So he, he built a concrete block house and my job was to shovel sand and uh, uh, gravel and cement into a concrete mixer. So I did that and um, I don't know, maybe we worked for a year on weekends and holidays and one day they let me, they gave me a carpenter's apron and nails and a hammer and let me go up on the roof and nail down the sheathing and at that point, I realized I really liked building. And so, you know, then I worked as a carpenter when I was 18 on the docks in San Francisco. And then I got really interested in shelter when I started building my own house uh, in 1960. I was an insurance broker in San Francisco and, and I would uh, come home on uh, early at, you know, I'd get off work and come home and work until it was dark. and. <clears throat> work on the weekends. And so I started building then and, and sort of had to learn as I went along. And, and then a series of steps led the way to me getting into publishing books on building. And I've, I've been interested in building ever since. Do you still live in the house that you built for yourself? No, no, I, that, that house, well, the house I built in Mill Valley is gone. Uh, they, they demolished it so they could put a couple of large houses on the same lot. The house I built in Big Sur is 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 there. Um, it's about two miles north of Esalen on the uh, Highway 1. And the house I'm living in now is um, I started, I built this house in 1971. I started on this house. And so that's where I live now. Right now we're in the production studio, which is about a uh, hundred feet from the house. Very nice. I like that. I, I don't know how big your main house is, but I like to subscribe to the small house, big workshop uh, methodology. Yeah. Yeah. I never thought of a, of a large shop as a, as a component in a, yeah. Well, you know, the tiny homes, the tiny homes thing is, is um, it's a, the good thing about the whole tiny homes movement is that, um, things were getting too big, uh, houses were getting too big and this is going in the other direction. But the idea that two people can live in a 150 square foot space is not too realistic for most people. Um, but, but tiny homes has certainly caught the imagination of, of, uh, of everyone, you know, TV shows and which are mostly phony. Uh, and um, lots of attention to the concept. The, the, the thing that actually that I think that of our books, the book Shelter is a lot more important than the book Tiny Homes. You know, Shelter was published in 1973. Right. And that that came out in 1973. And it it is isn't just tiny homes. It's all kinds of alternative homes. Right. Well, I was building geodesic domes uh, in the 60s. Be ge domes were the kind of the iconic um, uh, uh, house of the counterculture. We thought that domes were a better way to build, that they used less materials, uh, that gave you more space. And after five years of, of uh, building domes and publishing two books on dome building, I realized that domes didn't work. And... Um, uh, Dome Book Two had sold um, 160,000 copies by then, so um, I called up I, one day. I just thought, okay, that's it. Uh, I don't want any more domes on my karma. 
And so I called up my agent and said, you know, I'm taking the book out of print. And he said, are you crazy? You know, and I said, no, you know, I'm, I'm so I stopped publishing Dome Book Two. It was really a good book. We really we had a lot of fun when we made it, but it was just on the wrong subject and it was too appealing to people. And so I thought, well, I've got a maybe a quarter of a million people who have read our books on domes. I should show them other ways to build. So I took off with two cameras, two Nikons, one loaded with color film and the other with Tri-X and started photographing buildings in this country and Canada. And I went to England and um, studied the origins of building and started accumulating information. And in 1973, we published Shelter, which was an oversized book, 11 by 14 inches with a, a thousand photographs. And it was okay, here are, here are all the different ways of building all around the world. And here's the history of building. And here is a section on materials, uh, you know, from bamboo to adobe to wood. Uh, and um, here are, the heart of that book was five tiny houses where we drew the plans for each house. We drew every stick of wood, every rafter, every joist, uh, every stud and um, recommend that you, um, that you start small. And uh, maybe, maybe you start small and then add on as time goes by. So we really wrote the book on tiny homes about 45 years ago. It just took a while for, you know, for everybody to get around to it. So, so anyway, so I just wanted to say that Shelter was really the, is really the pivotal book. And still, it still is. It sold over a quarter of a million copies. And I have, we did the Maker Fair uh, about a week ago in San Mateo, which is a big event with something like 80,000 people coming. And we had a booth there and we sold books and we had all day long, people came up to us and said, you know, I got this book, you know, 35 years ago and it, it changed my life. I built a house out of it. So anyway, um, that's the, uh, you know, there are, seven building books so far. Um, but the shelter is kind of the, the, it's kind of everybody's favorite building book. My friend Deke Diedrichsen is the, I think he's episode two on this podcast. And I've, I've been to many of his various build workshops and he actually recommended shelter as one of his favorite tiny house related books way back then. And it's taken me this long to, to get you on the show, but um, I've, you know, I don't have it, but now I'm like, now I really want it. Oh, well, you, after this is over, send me your address. I'll send you a few books. Also, Builders of the Pacific Coast, which I think is the best book that we've ever done. Um, it's the book that uh, most of the, it, it's kind of an odyssey of my travels up the coast. And uh, and, and as far as Deke goes, um, Deke, I don't know if you've seen that comic book that he did. The first book that he did, and he there's a page in that book where he's sitting in a tree reading our book homework, and so that's how I got to know Deke. And then Deke and I did a um, we did a thing together, uh, uh, one of these home home fairs. It was in um, Raleigh, North Carolina. So I didn't know Deke, and we met, and he had the deal was he had a booth there. It was a it was it was um, he had a, an A frame that was supposed to be put together by the uh, organizers of the show. And so when we got there, 
there was nothing put together. So we had to scrounge around and get the materials. And the guy who was supposed to do it loaned us a, a, a skill saw and some and drill guns and stuff. So over the course of about a day, uh, we put together his little house. It was really, it was interesting to me that Deke, uh, you know, he's got such a great personality. Uh, he's so likable and, and easygoing and perfect for this era. Uh, he was a good builder. And so we had a great time. We built this little thing. We got it up. And and uh, and actually, while we were there, I was working on this book, Tiny Homes on the Move. And so Deke said, well, let's and I had some proof sheets from the book. So he said, let's do a video of you. So he you know, he's made lots of videos. And uh, so he made a film of me um, going through the pages of this book and page by page and saying, OK, here's a. Here's a camper van up in British Columbia. Uh, here's a woman that lives in a Vardo in the woods in England. And uh, it ended up, when he posted it, it ended up, it got something like uh, 200,000 uh, views. So anyway, so I, I have a history with Deke. Um, he's just a great guy. I agree. Uh, and he yeah. is a great builder, too. Um, yeah, yeah. And he's a musician uh, and, uh, and funny. Absolutely. And, and, and he can draw and he can draw, you know, so. The guy's got it all. What can I say? <laughs> Not to belabor it. I want to back up and just I, I wanted to ask, what was it about domes that just didn't work? Because they've certainly fallen out of favor. But why? Well, they're the whole thing is a roof. So if you have any kind of leakage, it's going to, you know, so you're, you're dealing with 100 percent roof. Uh, they're hard to subdivide. They're hard to add on to. Like if I want to, if I want to add on to the building I'm in now, which is rectangular, uh, I just go to a rectangular wall, exterior wall, and and build a roof off of that wall. But if I want to add on to a dome, I have to tie into multiple different angles, facets, uh, to add something on. And if I want to subdivide it, the same thing, uh, interior, like say a refrigerator and a chest of drawers and a bed, those things are rectangular. They're perpendicular to the earth. So uh, if I want to put a refrigerator against the, the wall is curving. So that's a problem in, in terms of space. Um, they tend to use, you have to use really high quality materials for domes. Um, uh, the, the, you can't have knots in the woods that you're using for the structure, for the struts. And once you cut them into three and four foot pieces, they're not salvageable. They're not useful for anything else um, and on and on. And so um, when I when I took Dome Book Two out of print, I had a lot of people were really upset with me. And, um, you know, they, they, they you know, like math science people, they domes appeal to them. You know, because they're mathematical, they're they're based on an abstract concept. And what I got around to understanding through a lot of years of building and observing builders is that I didn't want to spend my life creating something unique that was hard to build and took a lot of time. I wanted to have a house that I could get built quickly and that would be, you know, comfortable and beautiful and keep the rain off and then get on with my life. So what I did, I published a thing called Refried Domes, um, which we've still got copies of it, and we will send it out to anybody who really wants to 
um, uh, know what happened with me in domes. And it's a little 64-page newsprint publication. And it's kind of like, well, if you want to build a dome, um, uh, here's my story. And here's why I don't think they work. But if you do want to build a dome, here's the mathematics. I'm not going to withhold this information. So we we put I put the all the, the chord factors in there. But at the same time, here's my experience. Here's 10 reasons I think that they don't work. And uh, and I think that, you, you know, there, there there are that's for dome uh, domes as homes for a theater or for a yoga studio or for something. It's different. But a home is a home has got a function in so many ways that I think that it's just not I don't advise people to uh, build a dome and that I mean my dome was in life magazine a two-page color spread it was the dome that I finally built we built 17 domes at a quote alternative unquote high school a hippie high school in the Santa Cruz mountains we we tried out all kinds of different materials they were built out of plywood uh, aluminum polyurethane foam uh, shingles uh and at the end of that building period, that's when we did Dome Book Two. And so I still get I still get inquiries once in a while. But on our website, which is shelterpub.com, you can look down at the bottom, I think it is, and click on domes if you want to know about domes. You know, the reason the reason I got into publishing in the first place was I was living in Big Sur. I had built a house in Big Sur which is this rugged uh, coastal um, territory south of Santa Cruz. And I started building domes and I had the mathematics for building domes, which had been published in Popular Science Magazine uh, 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 under the title Sun Dome. And people were writing me and asking me for the math. So I would write back and give them the math and some things that I knew about domes. And then I thought, well, I'm sending the same letter over and over again. I should mimeograph something up and and um, and and print it out and then just send it to these people. And that's when I met Stuart Brand, and he was coordinating th all of the things that we were interested in in the '60s. And he ended up coming out with the Whole Earth Catalog. And so I teamed up with Stuart and became the shelter editor of the Whole Earth Catalog. And that's how I learned how to make books. But it all came about because I thought this just isn't a very, um, you know, it would just be a lot more efficient to print something. And it, so I've been, you know, publishing books and communicating for almost 50 years now. What do you think accounts for the current fascination with tiny houses? Well, the, the housing situation is a big part of that. It's just so impossible. Um, I just got a letter of, of you know, an email uh, to, half hour ago from a friend who said uh, she knows a friend of hers is looking for a place in the small town that I live in. She can pay up to $3,000 for a, a single person. and Per month, you mean in rent? Yeah, $3,000 a month. And um, San Francisco now, you know, the, the, the rent for a, a studio apartment is like $3,500 a month. So it's just it's just and, and so that's rentals. And then buying a home is pretty impossible uh, in the San Francisco Bay Area. It isn't in small towns. 
and it isn't in say central Oregon, but in San Francisco and Berkeley and Oakland and all around here. So that's the second thing is that it's the cost of buying a house, the cost of renting is so prohibitive now that people have been looking around for other alternatives. And um, the tiny homes thing, it just, it just caught fire. And the idea that you can put them on wheels and um, uh, uh, move them around, uh, that appealed to people. And so um, it, we, I guess we, we called our book Tiny Homes and Not Tiny Houses because I think a home is more than a house. And, um, and so we published that about four years ago. I think it sold about 120,000 copies now. And it's, it's uh, a hem, um, the best book out on tiny houses, tiny homes by far. It's got like a thousand photographs in it. There's all kinds of books on tiny houses now. And, and so tiny, our book, Tiny Homes, is now way, way back in the Amazon listings. You know, you can't control that. But um, so, so people, because of the cost factor and then the simplicity and the mobility of tiny homes. And then the, uh, also you can, people can look at a tiny home and they understand it. Like we publish these books, um, these little tiny books uh, uh, that are about two by two inches. I guess I don't have one right here, but they're about this big. And um, we give those away to people. Um, so this is a, a, a mini book of the tiny homes book. It's, I think we have 64 pages in each one of these books. And I give these little books to kids, you know, like a three-year-old, a four-year-old, and they will stand there and look through every page of this little book um, and uh, because they get it. They understand it. And so that's, that's another thing about the, the tiny homes thing. But I think that our book um, on tiny homes was um, under 500 square feet. Then we did a book called Small Homes which is 400 to 1200 square feet. And that is a much more practical thing for, I mean, if you have two people and you're living in one of these little tiny things, I mean, you're gonna have to get along pretty well to not murder each other. And uh, I mean, one, one thing that some people do is they each have their own tiny home. Um, but the small homes idea is, you know, so the small homes book, which we did two years ago, it's not nearly as popular as the tiny homes book, even though it's a lot more practical, you know, and it's, it's a lot, it makes a lot more sense. And in the small homes book, we show, I think we have 65 or 70 small homes all over the world, really, mostly in North America. And, uh, you know, we, we don't publish step-by-step -step building instructions, but we show what people have done. And uh, so that's, that's kind of where that, the progression of books has led me into small homes. Uh, yeah, so it, it sounds like you're a fan of tiny houses on wheels, but you think that they maybe get the size wrong in terms of a long-term solution for people. Well, I, the, the wheels part of it, I'm not, there's some things about tiny homes that I think are unfortunate. One is that everybody is putting them on trailers. Um, the maximum width is eight foot six inches because that's the maximum you can take on the highway in California or maybe in the United States. So they're narrow. And, um, and I've said to people, you know, if you're going to 
uh, build this thing and put it in a backyard and leave it there for years, why do you need it to be on wheels? Why don't you just put make it on a foundation so that if you have to move it, you rent a trailer, jack it up, move it, put it back down. And so that saves a lot of money. And, um, and uh, so that's one thing I think about tiny homes. They don't need to be on wheels unless you're going to be moving all the time. And the other thing is this, um, the typical kind of uh, what people think of when they think of tiny homes is a steep gable roof um, with a loft at one end and a ladder going up to the loft. Well, it's a really bad design, uh, a ladder, a ladder going up, you know, uh, easy to fall, get hurt. And then the they're narrow, so they're eight feet wide. And some of these tiny homes, they even have a partition in there. And I get claustrophobic when I go in one of those things. I mean, you've got a eight foot wide space and then you've got a partition. So you've got a three foot wide room. So uh, then a lot of them have a recess for a porch for, you know, where you can fit one chair. And that's unfortunate. That um, takes away space from the interior. So I think that 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 kind of image of tiny homes is not much better, I think, is a the shape of a gypsy wagon, which has a curved roof. And um, the curved roof right away gives you a feeling of spaciousness. And then if you have windows at like eye level, then you're orienting to the outside and you don't feel claustrophobic. And so you have a bed at one end. It's not, there's no loft. You have a bed at one end and you have drawers under the bed. And so I think that is, um, that's a lot better approach to tiny homes. You know, they have all these TV shows on tiny homes now, and they're really pretty phony. I mean, they, they don't really, they, they want, you know, they've got a formula. They want the couple, uh, they've got two kids. They've got kind of like a, uh, a macho builder. You know, the husband doesn't know how to, you know, hammer a nail. And, uh, and then, so they, it gets built and then the, then they show the couple seeing the place for the first time and the little girl runs and puts her teddy bear on the bed and, and the, uh, you know, they squeal with delight and it's just all scripted and it doesn't really have much to do with reality. Um, so, uh, yeah. Yeah, I, I agree. And I, I think that they have contributed to tiny houses getting bigger, which I don't, think is necessarily a bad thing but it's the format of the of making a tiny house on wheels bigger and bigger and bigger yeah and now seeing you know 34 foot long triple <laughs> axle tiny houses on wheels that have you know a full bathtub washer dryer dishwasher in my opinion it starts exceeding the the boundaries of the usable format for that type of home is that true 30 30 foot long Oh yeah, I've seen some some homes over thirty feet. Ah, wow, on on wheels. Yes. Yeah, well, not a trailer to hold up that that that's going to be a pretty expensive trailer. Oh yeah, it's like a twelve twelve thousand dollar trailer. Um, yeah, well, I, well, probably part of it is when it's on wheels, it may uh, not be subject to the building codes. So that's 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 one reason that they 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 the wheels concept, but right. It also disconnects the house from the land. So it, you know, it allows you to invest in the house without having to worry about owning land. 
Yeah. But as you've said, you know, a building that's built on skids absolutely can be moved. Yeah, it doesn't have to be. I mean, it just it just can be a couple of girders underneath the um, underneath the jo- the floor joists, so that you you know you, you you jack it up. You know, you could probably even you know jack it up in four places and then slide a, a trailer underneath it and then move it. So that's that's part of the that's part of the thing. Uh, you know, but so I, I think it's a good thing. It's a good thing that that you know that uh, another thing you know is the is the fact that. House homes being built now are way too large, and um, certainly around here. And they're so that not only it takes a lot of money and materials and labor to build them, but they're expensive to heat and to cool, and to maintain. So you know people can people can get by with a lot less. So I I would hope that there are some people who, you know, uh, are, you know, whether you can actually build your own home nowadays is. Around here, it's really almost impossible because of the cost of building permits uh, and and the things that they make you do, like putting in sprinklers in every house, which I think is absurd. You know, sprinklers in a restaurant make a lot of sense because of restaurant fires, but, you know, it adds $40,000 to the cost of a house. So um, it, it's, it's, it's uh, you know, we're back in the 60s, what everybody wanted to have 10 acres in the country and build a house and he cut the trees on the property and use that to build the house or in the desert adobe house now i think that if i were a young person now i would go looking in small towns or on the outskirts of cities at at cities or towns that are not um that haven't been discovered uh haven't been gentrified in 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 the san francisco area you know, it used to be Oakland, but forget Oakland. It's it's already, you know, in the multi-million dollar range for building buying a house. But Richmond was a place. Um, San Leandro, Hayward, uh, Vallejo is where I would go looking right now because it's on the it's on the water. Um, and uh, there's old Victorian houses there. Or you find a small town or or in a town like say Richmond where the crack dealers have just been run out of the neighborhood and you get a little house that needs some work needs fixing up and you get that and you you already have wiring and plumbing and sewage so you're not starting from scratch and so i think that that's a viable thing to do for somebody if they would like to have a hand in building their own shelter these days yeah it sounds like the California environment in terms of legal requirements is just makes it really difficult here in Vermont where I am. Um, it's a lot different. You know, once you get out of Burlington, which is where I'm currently am right now, most, most towns don't even enforce building code because really? they don't, they don't have the resources to do so. And there's still kind of the, if you want to build it and you want to live in a house that falls down on your head, like that's, that's on you. Wow. Um, so Vermont is still is still an option. Well, do you know Warren, Warren, Vermont? In the oh, Greek yeah. Mountains? Yeah. There's a lot of really interesting builders in that area, including Dave Sellers. Um, uh, he's an architect. And uh, I've spent some time there. There's, there's just a lot. Going yes. The Yestermorrow School is there, which is a, a school of, uh, of, of building that teach people how timber framing and, you know, how to do mortise and tenon. And yeah, they do really cool stuff. Yeah. Yeah. 
Well, that's good. I mean, that's that's that that there's freedom. Well, Vermont is kind of famous for a certain amount of freedom. So I'm curious if you have a favorite structure like of all time across all of these structures that you've you've <laughs> seen and documented. I know it's probably a tough question. No, it's not a tough question. Uh, there's maybe two uh, tube structures. Um, one is um, one is a, 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 a well. In all these years of 45 years of building and photographing and interviewing builders all over the place, I run across the builder of my dreams. His name is Lloyd House, and he's um, up in British Columbia. And so he built a house there that has unfortunately burned down. But it was it was just the most perfect, beautiful little house that I've ever seen. And um, and that's in the, our book, Builders of the Pacific Coast. Then there's a building in our book, Homework, built by Louis Frazier, who's my best friend now. And uh, it was built based on the drawing of a Mandan Earth Lodge in our book, Shelter. And Louis saw this drawing and decided to build this shop uh, with an adjacent circular bedroom. And so that's that's my other, you know, favorite. It just, the, those places are like like Lloyd's house. Um, it, when I came up to it, I just sort of sat down and said, oh, man, you know, I just have to catch my breath here. It's just so beautiful. So, I, you know, there are there are wonderful houses here and there that I have run across. And and I put a lot of them in our books. I mean, so we have we have seven books on building, each with a thousand photographs. So that's 7,000 photographs. And so there are a lot of those of things I think are really, you know, kind of exquisite. Well, I have so many now, now I've like reached the end of my house related questions and I feel like I'm standing at the bottom of a tree and I could branch in any direction here. Okay. Um, you've written about, about aging and you are, you're in your eighties, correct? Yeah. 84. What's your secret? Um, well, I chose very good parents. The, okay. <laughs> uh, my mom, my dad lived to be 92 and my mom 103. Um, so there's that. And uh, and then just I, I'm just active. I think that, you know, I think that what most an awful lot of the drawbacks of aging are from inactivity and not just purely from the years ticking by. And um, so I I. I actually had a 20-year period when I did books on fitness. Uh, I did the book Stretching by Bob Anderson, which has sold over 3 million copies and is in 23 languages. And then I did a book on uh, weight training called Getting Stronger by Bill Pearl. And I did a book on running by Olympic runner Jeff Galloway called Galloway's Book on Running. So for those 20 years I hung out with those guys and and uh, and I and I you know did triathlons I rode a bike I swam I ran I'm mostly competitive running so I sort of got it down there so that I I I just you know you just have to keep active and if you don't you know your your muscles lose their uh, you lose, lose their strength and um and so uh I I just you know I 
So I, I do something every day. I, I, I've kind of, I quit running competitively because my knees were going to, you know, give me a problem. And I quit maybe 10 years ago and I've started running again now, uh, much slower. And, uh, but with 20 years of competitive running, I've got running figured out and I know how to do it. And I, I just went last night for maybe four or five miles. I, I meet with my friends every Tuesday night. We meet at a, uh, a pub, uh, in, in, at Muir Woods and we run maybe an hour, hour and a half. And then we come back and drink beer in the pub. And so now I go off by myself cause I can't keep up with anybody else, but I really, I really enjoy being alone and just, you know, hearing the sound of my footsteps and looking around and going slow if I want to. And so, um, you know, it's just, I think the thing is to just stay active. It's not a, it's a pretty low bar, you know, for people in their eighties, you know, you know, I actually this Friday, I'm, I'm uh, meeting my high school friends for lunch. So we're like 85 years old, all of us. And there may be 15 guys will show up. And uh, even though I went in a completely different direction from all these guys, um, you know, in the in 1965, when I started smoking pot and was more interested in the counterculture than I was in making a lot of money, they're still my friends. And so, uh, you know, they're in varying, you know, you know, condition. Actually, you know, a really good friend of mine just told me last night he's going to have to have, he thinks, open heart surgery. So, you know, keep my fingers crossed and just keep moving, you know. Do you think that there are benefits or particular challenges to aging in a tiny house? No. Well, no. No, I don't think. No, I don't think so. I don't think it has you know, your fitness, I don't think matters. And unless you're going to, unless you're constrained by being in a tiny space, but I don't think so. Probably no loft ladder in that case. No, no, no. Or you have a peapot, you know, so you don't have to climb down in the middle of the night, you know? Yeah. What are you working on now? Um, well, I'm working on a book called, um, uh, handmade the half acre homestead. And it's basically, 50 years of building, uh, gardening, cooking, foraging, um, crafts, everything that we do here by hand. And, um, and, and I have the advantage in doing this book, the fact that I've been taking pictures for decades. Um, and so the book will be out next year. It'll be out in the uh, spring, like February or March of 2020. Um, and, um, I think it's going to be a really good book. Um, it's got, um, you know, the, 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 the house, the building of the house, the shop, the tools, uh, my wife's weaving studio, uh, food, uh, foraging, um, how we gather firewood, everything you do to, you know, have a shelter and food production on a small piece of land, like half an acre is, um, 100 by 200 square feet. And so, you know, I kind of wrestle with the idea of could you do this nowadays? I think you could actually. Um, And I've come around to the to the idea of telling people, well, if you could figure out a way to support yourself for a year, save up enough money for a year where you don't have to work, you can get a house built pretty, you can get a, a pretty good start 
in a year working alone on a house. So if you are of a mind to do this, here's how we did it. And, uh, and, then, and then here are other possible uh, solutions. You know, maybe you fix up a loft in a city or you buy a rundown house uh, in a small town and fix it up. But the principle is that your computer isn't gonna build a house for you. You still need your hands. You still need a hammer and a saw. Maybe it's gonna be a nail gun and, a, and an electrical saw. But so that hasn't changed and that's kind of an exciting thing. And so I'm saying to people, maybe you can't, maybe you can't build a whole house or you know, maybe you can't even do an extensive remodel, but you can do something. And anything you can do for yourself with your own hands, including growing food uh, and making whatever you can uh, will be of benefit and it will be cheaper for you and uh, it will be something that you'll, you know, you'll cherish and it will be of a great value to you in your lifetime. And so I think that those things are, you know, those things are still kind of the same um, for everybody. And so you just need to, you know, go out. And I mean, I've found I found places in small towns like the town of Calusa, uh, which is in the Central Valley of California. You know, I saw a house up there for sale, but it had a little barn in the backyard for $130,000. And so anyway, the uh, kind of my, one of my missions, I guess, is that doing stuff with your hands. And, and the last thing I would say is that you're never going to be self-sufficient. I mean, we th sort of thought that, ab about that in the 60s. You know, you wanted to grow all your own food. You can't do that at all. But what you can do is you can move in that direction and you can do as much for yourself as possible. You know, maybe if you're living in New York City, you've got chives and parsley on your fire escape, um, you know, all the way to the other situation where you're building your own house from scratch. So it's just, you know, the idea it's like self-sufficiency is like perfection. You never get there. But that's no reason not to try to do as much for yourself as possible. No, end of well, that, commercial. <laughs> that's an inspiring commercial, I have to say. No, the the book sounds awesome. Um, yeah. Maybe when it comes out, we'll we'll have you back on the show to to yeah. go oh, in sure. depth on it. Oh yeah, sure, sure, okay. Well, one thing that I like to ask all my guests is, what are two or three books that you recommend that have inspired you around, you know, tiny houses or shelter or building or really anything. <laughs> one book that always pops in my mind, nothing, nothing to do with any of that, was uh, West, with the, West with the Night by Beryl Markham. Um, she was a, a bush pilot in uh, Africa, and it's just so beautiful. It's one of those books that I'll read a paragraph, and then I'll just put the book down and think about it for a while. Just, you know, beautifully written book. As far as building goes, maybe the book that was pretty influential for me was called The Owner Built Home by Ken Kern, K-E-R-N, that I got in the 60s. And he was like an architect, but he was interested in experimental building. And so he has these really nice drawings of, of all kinds of things. <clears throat> and then other books, I don't know, books on building. There was a book called Your Engineered House, which I got in the mid 60s. And I used that book uh, when I built my house in Big Sur, um, I, I used a lot of the, his techniques. 
Um, I, I have thousands of books here. I, I have a I have a really fantastic library of um, having to do with small buildings uh, as opposed to, you know, architectural books on large buildings. And so I have books on thatching and, you know, and uh, I, I, I need to do something with these books, like get them to a university library or something because they're just sitting here. But I mean, I've accumulated these books over 50 years. And, uh, and you know, I bought two of them yesterday in San Francisco. Well, Lloyd Kahn, thank you so much for being a guest on the show. It was, it was really wonderful talking with you. Okay, well, thank you. You can find the show notes and links to all of Lloyd's books, photos from his travels, and much more at thetinyhouse.net slash 063. Again, that's thetinyhouse.net slash 063. Well, that's all for this week. I'm your host, Ethan Waldman, and I'll be back next week with another episode of the Tiny House Lifestyle Podcast.